The hope that we share together in Christ does not cover us in shame. I'm convinced that in the new heavens and the new earth, where those who belong to Christ will have raised bodies, uh, we will still have our cultures. Jesus still had his culture, and Jesus was recognized. So likely we will recognize each other, and we will have real relationships with each other, and then we'll get to know each other's names better. <laughs> Grace, amazing grace, lavish grace, glorious grace, incredibly more grace, costly grace, offensive grace. Would you listen or follow along? In Luke 7, 18 through 35, as I lead you into God's story that speaks of the glorious grace of Jesus that we can hear and see and touch, a grace so glorious that can, it can offend each of us daily. You can also find this passage if you don't have a Bible or an app on your phone on page 1022 of your pew Bibles. And as we prepare to read this passage or listen to it, would you join me in a prayer? O Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, we sang the song, Your grace is enough. It is the grace that you have given us through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross is enough to conquer our fears, to cause the darkness to flee, to make Satan cringe, and to cause your light to shine in our darkness. May your light shine in our darkness. For the praise of your glory. Amen. The disciples of John the Baptist told John about all these things. That is, these things that Jesus was doing and saying. Calling two of them. He sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus... They said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many. Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and raised many uh, and gave sight to many who were blind. So Jesus replied to the messengers, Go and tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those with leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are 
raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. After the messengers of John left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothing? No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury live in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Ah, yes, I tell you. And more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. The one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's ways is right because they were baptized by John. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law, also spoken of as lawyers in your bodies, rejected God's purpose for their lives because they had not been baptized by John. Jesus went on to say, to what then should I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and saying to each other, we played a pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, a sad song, a funeral song. We sang a dirge, and you did not cry. For John came, John the Baptist came, neither eating bread or drinking wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man comes eating and drinking, and you say, ah, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved true by her children. But wisdom is proved right by her children. This ends the reading from God's word that we will now eat from together. So urge you to keep your Bibles open. God extends to all people. God extends his grace to all people through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. In Ephesians 2, we read that it is by grace that a person is saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And even this faith is not your own doing. It too is a gift of God's grace that Jesus begins in us and perfects in us. It, salvation is not, or grace 
received is not by the works of one's own righteousness, not the results of one's own obedience, so that no one has a right to boast in anyone but Jesus Christ. No one has a right to boast in anyone except Jesus Christ. This grace is truly amazing. It is truly lavish and glorious, but it is also costly, and it can daily offend each of us. Last week, we began to look at how this grace can offend. We saw how the grace Jesus teaches and demonstrates made even John the Baptist ask, are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? The grace that Jesus demonstrated looked so different than what John had preached to the people and expected himself. The grace Jesus teaches and demonstrates is often different than we expect. Is often different than I expect. Therefore, the words of Jesus to John the Baptist are right words for each of us as well. Tell John what you have seen and heard. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Tell Tim what you have seen and heard. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Tell and put your own name in what you have seen and heard. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble or take offense on account of me. One of the first times I encountered this glorious grace that can offend was when I was in university. I was in a Christian campus group and was, for one year, studying with them the book The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer with 11 other male university students. Twelve students huddled in a dorm room that could comfortably fit four. Oof. I still remember the smell. We were deeply challenged by the lavish, costly grace of God. But sometimes we were offended. Often, the Spirit of God would reveal to us the shallow understanding of Christ that we had lived to that point. We were offended by the richness of God's grace that we were not experiencing. But as we repented of our shallowness, the Spirit of God then expanded our appetite and deepened our commitment for His lavish, costly grace. Even more, we found ourselves transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ. For those of you not familiar with this book, written by a German pastor-theologian who died in prison for his faith in opposition to Hitler. Let me read you the opening paragraphs of this book. Bonhoeffer writes about this glorious grace that can be an offending grace by looking at the difference between cheap grace and costly grace. You'll see the words before you. Cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church, he's writing. We are fighting that is advocating today for costly grace. Cheap 
grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ who is living and incarnate. In contrast, costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man, and again, forgive his language, I won't translate it for men and women, but it's we. For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy, which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ, for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows Jesus. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again. The gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life. And it is graced because it gives a man the only true life. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. This costly grace is glorious. Yet this costly grace is so good that it can and does cause us to stumble, to be offended. This morning, I want to plunge more deeply into this glorious grace that can offend by looking at the last part of the passage I read for you. Specifically, in verses 24 through 35, I want to look at three aspects of this grace that are both glorious and can cause us to be offended. Let me mention them at the beginning so you understand the outline in my head. First, we'll see in this passage that Jesus intends that this grace can be lived in your today, in your life now. This is glorious, that his grace can be lived today. But that's also the offense. That's also where we can stumble. Second, this grace welcomes God's purpose, not purposes, but purpose for our life. This is glorious. But as we go here, there, and there, and everywhere, this can also cause us to stumble. And third, we'll see in this passage that this grace is proved right. It's proved true by her children, by those children who have received this grace of God in Jesus Christ. This is glorious, but it causes us to stumble when that grace is not proved true by her children. Let's look at these together. First, Jesus intends that this grace is and can be lived today. In Luke 7, verses 24 through 28, Jesus asked the question, who is John the Baptist? 
Who was this man that many in the crowd went out to see in the wilderness? What Jesus says about John enables us to see how real this grace is. Jesus begins to talk about John the Baptist with a question. What did you go out to the wilderness to see? Did you go out to see a reed swaying in the wind? Did they go into the wilderness to see someone swayed by popular opinions, eager to please the crowds with pleasant words? As you read about John in Luke 3, the answer to this question is absolutely not. He did not preach to please the crowds, but to speak for God. And then he asks, did you go to see a man dressed in fine clothes? Those of you that know about John the Baptist know that he dressed as one whom you would likely not welcome into your home for a fancy dinner. He wouldn't eat it anyway. Jesus makes it clear that John did not cater to the rich and influential, nor did Jesus. His message was not tuned to fit their delicacies, to suit their appetites. So who then was John, Jesus asks. A prophet, yes. But a prophet about whom was written in Malachi 3 verse 1, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way for you. Jesus then adds, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. John clearly played a special role in the kingdom of God to announce the coming of the Messiah, Christ our Lord. But then look at that passage, at what Jesus adds. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. What does Jesus mean? And how does this relate to this grace that Jesus expects will be lived in our todays? What does he mean? He does not mean that John the Baptist is not welcomed into the kingdom of God. In Luke 13, verse 28, Jesus says that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets, quote, end quote, will be seen in the kingdom of God. So what does Jesus mean? Is Jesus echoing what John the Baptist said about himself in Luke 3, 15 and 16? There, John says, I baptize you with water. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I am not even worthy to be his slave or untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. When Jesus says, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he, could Jesus be echoing the words of John that his ministry was greater that, than that of John the Baptist because his baptism is greater? This could be part of it. Yet what we know from the Gospel of Luke suggests something more. Jesus is saying that this grace that John the Baptist only tasted is even more real for the Christian to live today. This grace that John anticipated can be lived by the Christian as part of God's kingdom today, every day, even as you go about your work, to your schools, in your relationships, your public and private life. This is glorious, but this is also the offense. This grace in Christ is meant to be lived now. 
Let me explain. All the prophets of the Old Testament longed to see clearly what they were saying about the coming Messiah. For example, in 1 Peter, Peter writes, and look at this up before you, concerning this salvation, the prophets, which would include John the Baptist, who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. Now look at what he says here. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. We. Myself. They were not serving themselves, but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things that those who believe in Christ now see. The grace the prophet spoke about could only be seen clearly and correctly through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Therefore, the prophets longed to see what Christians clearly see. Therefore, those who believe now in Jesus are greater than John the Baptist, not because of their worth, but because of their place in God's plan of redemption. The Christian now sees clearly the grace that those in the Old Testament could only search intently to see. The Christian can say, it is by grace demonstrated through Christ's sacrifice on the cross that I am saved. It is by grace that Jesus pioneers and perfects my faith. It is by grace in and through Jesus that I live and breathe and serve my Lord now and forevermore. John the Baptist asked of Jesus, are you the one who is coming or should we expect someone else? As Christians, we can resoundingly say today, yes, the message of the cross is the power of God for my life today. This is glorious grace. But that's also why it offends. It offends when we become aware by the Holy Spirit that we are not treating this grace as a treasure, when we do not live in this grace in our todays. The prophets of the Old Testament, including John the Baptist, searched for this treasure. The angels longed to look into this treasure that the Christian lives. One follower of Jesus named Paul said of this treasure, this good news of grace, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his, res his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. The offense of this grace is that when it is not treasured, it then is not lived out in our daily lives. When this grace is not treasured, it is not lived out in our daily lives. 
when this grace of God in Christ is not sought after, it then does not impact our work, our school, our relationships, our churches, our giving, our lives. This grace was given to be lived today. But this passage suggests more about this glorious grace. That is also why it can offend. Second, this glorious grace welcomes, welcomes, welcomes God's purpose for our life. As we continue with verses 29 and 30, Luke contrasts two groups of people relating to Jesus. Those people who welcomed the purpose of God for their lives revealed in John the Baptist and those who rejected God's purpose for themselves. Many of the people, including, it says, tax collectors and sinners who came to John were led by the Spirit of God to repent of their sins and acknowledge that God's ways were right to them. They welcomed God's purpose for their life, the purpose to repent and believe in the good news and keep repenting and keep believing in the good news. In contrast, the Pharisees and experts in the law, we read, rejected God's purpose for themselves because they were not baptized by John. They refused to see their sin. They refused to repent of their sin. They refused to believe the good news of the gospel in Jesus and their need for a savior in him. What then is the glory of God's grace in this section? What is there here for this grace that can offend? The glory of the grace of Jesus is that he came to forgive our sins. John the Baptist came in the power of the Holy Spirit to show people, all people, that they were sinners and in need of repentance. Those who humbled themselves over their sins and were then also able to hear Jesus, acknowledging that God's way in Jesus was right. It is always this way. The Spirit of God shows us our sins as we stand before the God who made us. He leads us to say to God, I have sinned. He then brings us to know and experience the righteous forgiveness of sins. This grace so glorious. Yet it also offends. John Newton, a slave trader who was led to repentance, who then wrote the famous hymn, Amazing Grace, said this about the relationship of repentance over sin and forgiveness in Christ. And again, forgive me for using uh, male-female terms that we don't use anymore. Newton wrote, Although my memory's fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner and Christ a great Savior. I am a great sinner and Christ a great Savior. The grace of God, my words, in Christ is meant to be lived today, in your today, where he brings you 
The grace of God in Christ welcomes God's purpose for our life. Like John Newton, such a purpose that the Christian declares, I am a great sinner and Christ a great savior. What's your purpose in life? I am a great sinner and Christ is a great savior. There's yet one more aspect of this glorious grace that can offend that Jesus points out in this passage. Three, this grace is proved right. It is proved true by her children. This grace is proved right. Yes, it's proved to be glorious in the lives of her children changed by this grace. In Luke 7, Verses 31 through 35, Jesus asked the question, to what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? He then tells the story of children sitting in the marketplace, calling out to each other, saying, we played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, a sad song, and you did not cry. Jesus then gives the interpretation in Luke 37, 33 through 35. What is Jesus saying? Who are the children in this parable and who are the people of this generation? Since this is a parable, a story with a meaning, there are different angles of interpretations and equally possible meanings. First, Jesus could be suggesting that the children sitting in the marketplace are John the Baptist and Jesus. The people of this generation he's thinking of are the religious leaders who refused to dance to John and Jesus. With such an understanding, it is John and Jesus playing the pipe, singing a dirge, but the religious leaders refuse to join. If this is the interpretation, the idea is that John and Jesus were calling the religious leaders, along with all the people, to join God's purpose but the religious leaders refused. Certainly we see this refusal in the religious leaders throughout the Gospel of Luke. But there's another possible meaning. Jesus could mean that the children sitting are the religious leaders playing their pipe and singing their dirge, a pipe and singing that they had done for many generations. As they do so, They critique both John and Jesus for not fitting in to their boxes. We see this too throughout the Gospel of Luke. Often we hear the words spoken or thought about Jesus. Here is a glutton and a drunker, one who is a friend of sinners and tax collectors. But then Jesus offers in this passage this amazing good news, saying, But wisdom is proved right by her children. What is he saying? Jesus is saying that the wisdom, the good news offered by Jesus and John, is proved right in the lives of those who embrace this good news of God's grace. Those who live this grace today, those who welcome God's purpose for their lives, declaring that they are sinners saved by grace through Christ alone, begin to reflect this grace 
in their lives toward others and toward themselves and in their relationship with God. As they do so, they prove the message of John is right. They prove the good news of Jesus, that it is the wisdom of God. How glorious when this grace is proved right by the children who have been shown grace. How glorious when a church community that includes those who have received this grace of God in Christ reflect this grace to each other. Demonstrate this grace to each other. To newcomers, to our neighbors, as we go into our various communities during the week, so that through the lives of those who have received his grace, others might see the grace of Christ. What might such grace look like among the children of a church community like our own? Dietrich Bonhoeffer and John Newton provide us with two such expressions of this grace. Children of Jesus, who are proving right the grace of God through their lives and in their community express two qualities. First, the quality that they're continuing to seek his grace. What? what? Those who have received grace display it as true by continuing to seek his grace. And second, a community and individual who has received his grace demonstrates his grace by continuing to be humbled, not offended by his grace. Let me read words now from Bonhoeffer and Newton. Bonhoeffer, costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again. The gift which must be asked for. The door at which a man must knock. He continues, such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It's a grace that we keep seeking. How do you display that you are a person who has received grace? That the Spirit of God places in you the desire to keep seeking His grace. This glorious grace of God in Christ is reflected in her children as we keep seeking His grace, needing His grace, delighting His grace. Some of you are aware that last Sunday I was not my full self. The problem of my personality is that I'm not always sure what it is that God is doing until later. This morning as I gathered with our Mandarin community before they service, before their service, I spoke clearly what it was that was going on inside of me. I could feel that the darkness was closing in on me and that the light of Jesus was seeking to be snuffed out by Satan. And I said to the community this morning that one of the reasons for the darkness as I was plunging into the life of John the Baptist was that I wanted us as a community to want Jesus. The reason that the darkness was closing in 
is because I wanted us as a community to want Jesus. I am not naive to the darkness that is all around us. I listen to the news as well and often say to my wife, that's enough. The need to sit at the feet of Jesus for me each day and with others has never been stronger. The reason our ministry staff gathers twice a month for an hour and a half around Jesus through his word is not some neat strategy, but to keep us in the light of Jesus so that the darkness flees. We as a community rise and fall on the grace of God in Christ that we and I must keep seeking. But there's a second way that we can express that grace is true among us, to continue to be humbled and not offended by this grace. Listen to John Newton. Whoever is truly humbled will not be easily angry, nor harsh or critical of others. He and she will be compassionate and tender to the infirmities of his fellow sinners. Isn't that beautiful? That person will be compassionate and tender to the infirmities of his fellow sinners, knowing that if there is a difference, it is grace alone which has made it. He knows that he has the seeds of every evil in his own heart. Wow. Those who know God's grace are not easily offended by it. They know all that God says of them as sinners is right. They welcome his rebuke. They welcome his correction. They receive his correction even as they stand in his grace, as they submit to his grace. They are transformed into his likeness, the likeness of his grace. Others begin to see the difference that Jesus makes in their life and comes to Jesus. They come to Jesus to receive his grace. Grace. Amazing grace. Lavish grace. Glorious grace. Incredibly more grace. Costly grace. Offensive grace. This grace in Christ is meant to be lived in your today. This grace welcomes God's purpose to continue leading you to repentance, continually leading you to know his forgiveness. This grace is proved right by how it transforms our life alone and together. Jesus welcomes you to receive his grace. Jesus calls us to live in his grace. As we close and sing a couple songs to finish our time together, I would like now to invite the worship team to come. As they do so, I would like to invite you to stand and to join me in what I call an ode to grace from Ephesians 1 and 2, also called His Glorious Grace. Would you join me? I will do the reader portion, and if you then would do the people portion, if we can go to the next slide.
We praise God for his glorious grace. Not quite yet in sync with each other. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Oh, the glories of his grace. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. When we believed in Christ, he identified us as his own by giving us the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we would glorify him. God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that we have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved us by his grace when we believed. We cannot take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us new in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And together let's say, we praise God for the glories of his grace.